Welcome to the Theology Podcast. It's great to have you here. And uh, a couple of the, the normal guys are here. I'm here. Tom's here. And we'll introduce ourselves. Unfortunately, Glenn is still wrapped up with a family matter uh, related to a very close family member's health. Uh, we won't talk about that. That's something for him to share. And uh, we'll, uh, but it, 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 regardless, uh, we're going to do the best we can. And we have a, we have a, a guest today that we've uh, been looking forward to having on. We'll let him introduce himself in a minute. But anyway, I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm a pastor. I serve a church in the Pacific Northwest. I've written some books, been a real estate investor, professor of philosophy. Anyway, that's enough about me. Tom. I'm Tom Price. I teach systematic theology, Christian ethics, philosophy, apologetics, and a host of other things. Uh, one of the places is Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. Well, our guest today is uh, someone that uh, is going to talk about a, a center in Connecticut that is going to be a real, I think, blessing to the people who live in the immediate environs there uh, and may uh, actually come as something of a surprise to people who maybe have some notions about what life in Connecticut is like and what's possible there and what isn't. <laughs> anyway, Laban, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, give us a little bit of, on your background and then talk to us a little bit about the Blake Center. Absolutely. Well, my name is Laban Duke, and I work for Hillsdale College at the Blake Center for Faith and Freedom in beautiful Summers, Connecticut. And it is, uh, right. it is, it is beautiful though. This time of year, it is, it does get cold actually. So <laughs> there is that. And then, as you mentioned, it is in Connecticut, which is in you know, New England, um, perhaps a, a nation within a nation, as uh, as I've come to discover <laughs> over the past year. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're in kind of Jonathan Edwards' old stopping grounds there, not too far from you know where he ministered, um, but. Tell us a little bit about the Blake. Well, before we do that, why don't we give us, get a, give us a little bit, bit of background on yourself? You know, so this isn't the only thing you've ever done in your life. Sure. <laughs> what, what else have you done and, what, and where'd you come from? Well, so I've, I've had a couple of, uh, I guess you could say, higher education stints. Uh, did, some, did, some, did some work at Dallas Theological Seminary, helping establish some of their free online courses. So uh, the initial course we launched was the uh, on, free online course on the Gospel of John, and um, if you if you go to to DTS's classes today, you'll find a number of courses that I helped put together there. And of course, they've taken it and run with it. Now they have almost a half a million people involved in those courses to this day. So uh, that wow. that was a that was a sort of a a fun Keystone project that I got to work on there, yeah. and uh, was was happy to get to do that. I also did uh, some work at Baylor University, worked as in their donor relations department. So I, I've had sort of a, a dual role of, of working in theology, but also working in development in higher ed institutions. So my, my job at Baylor was in their donor relations department as, as the director of donor relations, served in that role for a couple of years, a couple of tough years, honestly. That was uh, during the time when Baylor was really facing a lot of backlash nationally over their handling of a sexual abuse scandal. So it was mm -hmm. not uh, a particularly easy time to be in donor relations, just to put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I've also worked at Neshota House Theological Seminary, so kind of got back on the seminary track on that front, and then uh, um, now working for Hillsdale College. So that's, that's, the, that's the work background in brief. Nice. Well, sounds like you spent some time in Texas. I yeah, and, uh, tra tra <laughs> transitioning to, from Texas to Connecticut can be a culture shock. Yeah, I got used ways. to the I got used to the temperature change when I when I went to Wisconsin. Wisconsin has cold weather oh, too. Oh, that would do it. Yeah, uh, but then yeah, yeah the right. uh, I guess you could say a different kind of climate adjustment uh, coming over to Connecticut. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, uh, tell us a little more about the Blake Center and and what is going on there. I know a little bit about the arrival of Hillsdale in Connecticut, because in summers there was initially kind of this uh, uh, sort of response uh, kind of in fear that, hey, we're going to have a college in our nice, tony little community, and there's going to be a lot of traffic, and there's going to be a lot of disruption. And, and you know, it's, a, as I noted, a kind of a tony section of Connecticut, not nearly as tony as, say, 
you know, Greenwich or, you know, Fairfield <laughs> County, but it's, it's a pretty nice area. So tell us a little bit about the center, its sure. architecture. It's, I know it's a pretty cool place. Yeah. So the, the center comes as the, as the product of a gift from Presley and Helen Blake. So Presley Blake is the, one of the co-founders of the friendly, friendly ice cream chain that's in New England. So if you're familiar with the area, You'll, you'll know the Friendly's name as being sort of a long-running name. And, of course, over the years, the, the restaurant's been, been sold a couple of times. And, you know, you could, you could perhaps say that, you know, it wasn't what it once was, but it was established as a really solid chain, more in the vein of like an In-N-Out, a really small menu, dedicated, high-quality, but a sit-down restaurant. So it provided a, a low-cost, you know, place for people to have a family dinner, but actually sit down to a meal that was delivered relatively quickly. So they'd kind of carved out a good niche there. Presley Blake, obviously, you know, very successful businessman. But then um, the story of how Hillsdale and the Blakes uh, kind of get together is an interesting one. Um, One of the sort of oddities is that, well, you know, the Blake's granddaughter applied to Hillsdale College, you know, to be a student. And then uh, our admissions department uh, did not send her a letter of acceptance. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you know these, these pretty exclusive. <laughs> these, these admissions folks, you, you have to, you know, you got to wonder sometimes and you go, you know, could you just take another look? She happens to be the heiress, you know, of a, of a billion dollar family. <laughs> you know, could we just, you know, maybe, maybe give it another look. Well, but, you know, you know may, may, maybe, maybe you could like make that part of your like uh, recruiting efforts. We are so dedicated to high standards. <laughs> we turn away the children of millionaires. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. I think that that was the impression that the family left with. Oddly enough, I think the family left going, you know, look at the principled stance that they took there. They knew who we were. They knew who we stood and, and still, you know, it's just gonna, they, didn't, they didn't sell out. You know, I'm not giving advice here to other small colleges on how to handle their admissions. This is not, this is not how you do it. But no, um, I, you know, I think that happened and it actually wound up leaving, a, I think, a really good taste in the family's mouth brought more broadly that, that they were like, you know, here's a place that that really stands by, you know, its admission standards. And that's something that is perhaps not as common as one would want these days. So I think that part of it left a good, a good taste in the mouth. But then also Helen Blake took one of Hillsdale's free online courses, of which there are now, uh, you know, there's now an entire library of these courses. She took the one on Aristotle, which, yeah. so she got to study Aristotle with Larry Arn, our president, who yeah. is featured in that course. And of course, she had studied Aristotle in, in her grade school education back in the day when they did such things in K through 12. That's right. Uh, right, right. And right. she just yeah. really yeah. enjoyed it and felt like that she had become, you know, a part of something and realized that Hillsdale stood for that. And then as, as the course of time goes, it, it became time for them to kind of think through their estate. Um, you know, you'll appreciate the timing here. So Presley was, you know, like 104 before, you know, really, you know, a lot of plans for the estate kind of started to. I'm like, I'm not going to die. <laughs> I mean, if you ask the guy, great. like, what's the what's the secret to long life? And he'd be like, good ice cream. So, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not telling you how to do it, but there, there's there's right. advice from a guy. So. You know, around around the age of 104, he starts thinking, you know, really ought to make some plans for our estate. So they owned 100 acres, um, or I guess at the time it was about, you know, 80 acres or so that they owned in Connecticut. And of course, for his 100th birthday party, uh, one of our buildings that we have now to kind of back up a little bit. So, uh, you know, he's fixing to turn 100. He builds a replica of Monticello. Because, you know, <laughs> if you're going to celebrate your 100th birthday party and, and you got the money to do it, I mean, why not? Go, go, go big. So, uh, yeah, so we have what I like to say is the best replica of Monticello in the world. Because it's the only replica of Monticello in the world. So, of course, we get the best. But it is. It's this, it's this fantastic near one-for-one exterior replica. The bricks are sourced from Virginia clay pits. Um, yeah, you know, the, wow. you know the, the architecture is spot on. The only real noticeable difference is the three-car garage, which, you know, let's say Jefferson yeah, never quite got around to that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> inside is completely different, very, very modern facility, but built that for his 100th birthday party. 
promptly sold it and and never lived in it, but sold it right away. Um, and then, you know, we get to the place where they're starting to think about their, you know, their potential, you know, impact, you know, and their legacy in a philanthropic scenario. And, you know, a couple ideas were dancing around a couple of other, you know, admittedly, we had some other colleges in the running. But, you know, again, this memory of the of the admission standards and also mm-hmm. the the national influence through those free online courses, you know, kind of led portions of the family, specifically the daughter, Susan, um, led her to kind of urge her mom to, you know, consider Hillsdale. Of course, you know, Helen's thinking, what would Hillsdale in Michigan, you know, care about this yeah. property in Connecticut? But she sends a letter to Larry on and goes, you know, would love to have you out show the place. So, you know, a lot of a lot of the uh, the Hillsdale muckety mucks, if you will, uh, Larry Arn in particular, <laughs> comes out, has a look at the property and are genuinely charmed. You know, here's this beautiful 70 acres of pastoral land. It's got, uh, you know, several homes on it, several outbuildings. If you're from the area, yeah. it's 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 kind of it's kind of like its own little mini Sturbridge village of sorts. You know, yeah. Tom's Tom's yeah. been out yeah. here and seen it. There's there's yeah. some cute yeah. little buildings that are that are period specific. Yeah. It's really kind of a fantastic property. Um, but yeah. at the time, like I said, you know, Presley didn't own Monticello. He had sold it. So, but he couldn't resist. And when they came out, he, he you know, took, you know, Larry Arn on a tour of the building that he was so proud to have built. Um, and of course, you know, as the, as the legend and story goes, as, you know, Larry Arn is looking at it, goes, you know, I love, I love this other property, but boy, do I like that Monticello building. <laughs> So, um, if I understand it right, within 24 hours, you know, Presley had given the college enough money to buy it back and add wow. not only that building and the land uh, and and had, you know, done all of the necessary intentions to, uh, to, to not only gift the property, but give a proper endowment to ensure the, mm, the nice. perpetual operations of the facility. And of course, yeah, yeah. So then the zoning battle starts, which is sort of a fun, yeah. <laughs> a fun tale yeah. of, you know, you know, once somebody hears that there's going to be, you know, keggers on the front lawn, it's hard to get that image out of their head. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I still face that one to this day where I'm like, you know, we just, we just haven't gotten around to the kegger, you know, maybe I'll put it on the schedule <laughs> at some point, but no, we have, <laughs> we have no intention of being we, that. We can do a keg in theology night. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, a lot of the, a lot of the folks who, who are like in that community, you know, they, they did that, you know, that was what their experience of college was. And so they just project. <laughs> did it on yeah. you guys yeah oh they were they, you know it was everything from you know our, our traffic's going to be ruined to the lighting's going to be ruined you know and i think the you know obviously one of the things that that you know keeps coming back up is the loss of tax revenue and you know all of these different concerns sort of boiled up and were part of the zoning you know concern and of course you know it, it's all it's all public record you know hillsdale had to uh had to bring in its legal team to, to emphasize to the town, listen, you know, we, we're establishing a center here that is focused on faith and freedom, but faith comes first and faith, faith is primary to the center's operations. Hillsdale's been a, a Christian college from its start, and it is ever more leaning into that, to that, you know, yeah. uh, founding and heritage. Yeah, you've got, yeah, you guys have, yeah, the, you guys built a pretty significant chapel yeah. up in uh, Michigan. Uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Duncan Stroik was your mm-hmm. architect, which is like like the man, and yep. like on a global level when it comes to sacred architecture these days. So, so you, you guys secured the property, which is great. You've got a you've got a stake there in North Central Connecticut, which is a like I said, a really cool area. By the way, it's also tobacco country, so yep. if you're like into cigars, it's a great place. <laughs> <laughs> when we have you out so, sometime, uh, we'll have to smoke some out on the uh, on the terrace, <laughs> yeah. outside only. Oh, but yeah. you know, we'll have to hook you up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, I'm, I'll be up for that. Yeah. Uh, now, tell us a little bit about the programming there. Uh, I yep. think that's another really wonderful thing to see. Uh, so it's faith and freedom. And That's right. as we were talking before the show, sometimes one gets emphasized at the expense of the other when you see that kind of thing happen. But it sounds like the goal here is not to lose one or the other. Yeah, so we're trying to, about that. we're trying to strike this, this God and country balance. And honestly, it came to me at a good time. I was, I was in Wisconsin, it's a purple state. And, you know, you know, we'd have to get 
you know, too into politics, but hey, you're talking to a Hillsdale guy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come up, you know, you yeah. just can't avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, right. You know, I, I, I wasn't completely satisfied with the way I saw some of the elections go. And I thought to myself, you know, here I am at a, at a seminary doing, doing good work here, but I'm not sure that I'm actually contributing to the future of this country. Would that there was a way that I could that I could serve both God and country, certainly putting God first, not in a, you know, Christian nationalist negative sense where, you know, somehow, you know, my country becomes my God, you know, being mindful of that, you know, potential pitfall, but certainly thinking that, you know, the, the blessings of liberty in this country are perhaps unique in the course of human history and at least deserve a little bit of effort on the part of good Christian people to, to see about trying to maintain that. Certainly the people who landed here you know, far into our history, um, thought it thought it a rather a rather good thing that uh, religious liberty should be a part of the the fabric of of our country, and I think it behooves the people who have inherited that to give it a little effort to try to maintain it. So, um, when this job came open at Hillsdale, it seemed to me uh, a direct answer to you know, if it, if it wasn't a, a prayer, a cert, certainly a burning thought on my part that there ought to be a way to do that. So our programming yeah. re- reflects that kind of that, that kind of God and country focus, that faith and freedom kind of focus. So we, we we've got a number of programs coming up this year. So this year's probably, you know, uh, we've been testing out a couple different formats and a couple different speakers, trying to find that right mix over the last year. So it's certainly not the first time that we've got our programs out of the door. We've had you know at least at least a dozen prominent programs uh, since since I've been here. So I've been here a little over a year. We've already had a dozen programs, but this year I would consider. The first time when we're kind of coming out of the gate, you know, in in sort of all cylinders firing, if you will. So we've got a number of seminars coming up. So we're going to cover things, you know, more directly, like, you know, looking at specifically the phrase separation of church and state, you know, and and Jefferson's original framing of that in, in his letters. But then also the way that that phrase has been used and perhaps misused throughout the years. Right. To mean things that it didn't mean, but also, um, you know, the, the importance of religious liberty and how uh, the founders intended the government to interact on that front. Um, and I won't give too many yeah, spoilers. Which, which, but which, <laughs> yeah, which is an interesting thing to consider in Connecticut because uh, yeah. it's the Constitution state. That's right. And it had an established church. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. so it wasn't as though there weren't established churches in the in the colonies. There were. <laughs> I guess you could say, "My how the mighty have fallen." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and then we've got things that you know uh, are a little bit more you know direct in terms of their focus on Christian theology. So we'll be having um, Gerald McDermott and one of our own professors, Don Westblade, will be discussing Israel and Christian theology. So. Obviously, uh, Dr. McDermott has written extensively on that subject, so we look forward to having him and picking his brain. And admittedly, as a DTS grad, uh, I, I look forward to uh, to bringing back some of the uh, some of the good old good old days at DTS to uh, to punch him around a little bit. So you can't let these theologians get off too easy, you know. <laughs> but we're looking right. we forward try, to we try to keep in. we try to. We try to keep Tom off off his uh, balance there. We try to... <laughs> oh, no, not the Israel discussion. <laughs> you always know when he's gone too far, when he's tossing the word ontological in places, you're like, I'm not sure that that word belongs there, but I'm trying to find my... I'm trying to figure that <laughs> out. find out later, it does. <laughs> it's it's, it's your catch-all. It's your so, catch-all. Tom, I, I just want to see that we can toss ontological into anything and, and, and make it theological. <laughs> we'll also be looking at the prayer book. So we have our own chaplain who's an Anglican priest, and we're wanting to bring him in. Let's talk about the prayer book and its contributions. I mean, you look at the marriage rite still pulls very heavily from the 1662 oh, yeah. prayer book. And so much yeah. of our, our thoughts about, even on a you know very secular Church stage. Anytime you watch a movie that is in in, in any way trying to give a nod to a Christian wedding, it, it uses the prayer book liturgical, right. you know, wording, and yeah. so that that right. influence I think is is paramount. Even in a country that admittedly was not too fond of the Church of England, all things considered, uh, I'm pretty sure Jonathan <laughs> Edwards may be rolling over in his grave in the cemetery uh, to, to have that happen. But uh, no, I, we're we're going to do things like that. But also we're we're going to look at things that. Um, are perhaps, you know, related to faith, but maybe not seem, you know, right on the, 
you know, you know, right on the surface. So uh, we're going to have a problem that uh, 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 an event that looks at the problem of fake news. You know, we, we've all been faced and, and all been, you know, watching a media that seems to be slanted or prejudiced in some ways, um, at, you know, uh, in, in, but at the same time, even the conservative, quote unquote, conservative media leaves much to be desired, you know, in terms of, you know, yeah. uh, give me give me the true story here. What is really going on with this particular news story? Right. So we're going to be, you know, having our journalism professor, our endowed chair of journalism, um, you know, John Miller, he's going to come out and talk through oh, how yeah. he trains, you know, his journalism students to be able to read the news for actually getting, you know, critical thinking skills for reading the news, if you will. So, and I think yeah, that is I, important to, uh, to, to a Christian church, to be able to understand what's, what is really going on, not only to inform our prayer life, but also to inform us as citizens who potentially are going to vote. Yeah, yeah, that's great that you're having Miller out. I mean, I've I've been kind of uh, following him a little bit over the years, and uh, I've got a number of uh, people that I've known over the years uh, who teach themselves to like Brad Beerser. Uh, you know, if you ever have Brad out, I'd love to know and come and hang out with him a little bit. But uh, you, Brad, cigars—it's so all coming together now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, it's, that that topic itself, though, is very significant. We've covered a few times on the show just the the the. Um, you know, kind of propaganda mm-hmm. and the way in which especially the, the media, it, you know, has increasingly become obviously, uh, uh, you know, basically a huge outlet on, on all sides for propaganda. And so the capacity for students to actually learn to read and be able to digest material and see through material, I think is timely. That's a, that's a very important course. I, I yeah. think now Laban, I, you you mentioned that you you know had some uh, experience getting you know online courses uh, you know uh, you know available or, or, or you know accessible to people. Will there be anything at the Blake Center that's accessible for people yeah. in other parts of the country? So part of my uh, part of my experience. So there's a good news, bad news to online courses, and I I, I sort of stumbled into this. Um, in the midst of being really excited about my own sort of project work at DTS, um, we, we built these courses and the initial thought was, you know, Gospel of John, wouldn't it be great if in the course of a year, we, we you know, we managed to get 10,000 people engaged in this course. And I sort of set that up as like, boy, I, I want to hit that 10,000 mark as I know it's sort of an internal you know, it's one of just those goalposts for me, but I'd love to be able to say that we've we've been able to have 10,000 people in there. That was roughly at the time that was getting close to the number of live alumni at DTS. So it was like, that's that's a fun working number to say, like, we've got just as many people who have taken our course in the Gospel of John as, as we have alumni. Um, hmm. What happened was we released this course and released it at a terrible time of year. I mean, we released it right after Thanksgiving, right before December. You know, it is, it is a well-known sort of industry standard of like, you don't you do not do cool new things at that time of year because people are distracted. <laughs> um, right, but right. we did it anyways. <laughs> and then and then sort of the rocket took off. The first sort of alarm bell was, you know, when we got, uh, I got a call from the uh, network hosting company that we had hired to handle the, the traffic load on the website, get sort of an immediate like note from them that, you know, they're, they're thinking maybe we're getting a denial of service attack. And I was like, oh, great. The last thing we need, we first launched this thing and then the hackers are coming for us, you know. Uh, wow. Turns out that was not the case. And, and in fact, we just had not purchased the right tier because we weren't ready for the flood. So 13 days, roughly 13 days after launch, we had 10,000 people taking the Gospel of John. Wow. So wow. far outstripped any expectations we yeah. had. Um, within just a month, we had, you know, almost a hundred thousand people in that course within six months, we had a quarter of a million people taking that course. So it was hugely successful. And and the way I'd pitched it was let's replace some portions of our paper acquisition with a different way of raising money that drives value to the donor on the front end, you know, a lot of value Mm -hmm. and then just gives them opportunities. So I wanted to decrease the number of envelopes I was shipping with the big, bold red letters and all of the all of the little claptrap of, you know, how to sure. do direct mail. I was wanting to lean away from that and lean into a different way of doing fundraising. And it worked very good in that format. The downside, and so here's the, here's the devil part of it. The downside is, is the percentages of people who are actually finishing this thing are fractions of a percent. 
Now, fortunately, wow. Hillsdale actually boasts a number which still just sort of rocks my world. I think it's close to, you know, 30% of people that engage with a, a Hillsdale course so sh- show some measurable. And of course, you know, the, the actual facts and figures on the back end, you, you, you have some shifting, but fit some scenario that is significant engagement with a course, whether that means they're, they're taking some, some number of quizzes or they're engaging with a certain number of videos, but they're engaging seriously with the course. If I was to be honest, the numbers that I was seeing, you know, when I built you know, my own courses for DTS on that front, fractions of a percent. So out of 100,000 people, I could really only find a 1,000 people, give or take, that had significant, you know, had watched more than two or three videos. And then of those 1,000, I could only find about 100 people that I could confidently say had passed a certain number of quizzes to meet a B-level, you know, grade in, yeah. in the course. Yeah. So that's the, you know, that's, that's the devil of the MOOC right. style course is you get this broad engagement, which is, a, it's, it's sort of a fun numbers game, but then it also yeah. yields a kind of student who's, who's not used to having to, uh, you know, having to go through courses they wouldn't want to take. And so yeah. I, at yeah. some level, I do think it has yielded a challenging situation for DTS where I think the number, the, the students coming in, I think it's, I think this is the case that, you know, they're, they're their billable hours is no longer represented in their student population. Like they have enough students now that their billable hours, you know, their, their, their credit hours that they're selling to students, you know, that number should be higher than it is. And it's because students aren't necessarily coming to be degree seeking anymore. They're coming to piecemeal. I want to take the course on Romans. And then I want to take the course on intro to theology. Yeah. But you know what? I'm not really interested in Old Testament theology. And I'm certainly not interested in Hebrew and you know what? I'm I'm actually good on Greek too. I, I, and and I'll pass on the homiletics. I'm never really going to preach this stuff. Just give me the stuff that I want. Well, you know, uh, with regard to what you can do though at the at the location for the Blake Center, I mean, what's what's your capacity like? So when you when you have a uh, something that's on site, uh, yeah. how many how many people can you host? Well, so right now we're limited by our largest room. So our engagements are about 75 people. And to kind of, you know, stitch this back to what I was saying before. So we've got some seminar events that are going to be about two days in length and we can have, you know, 75 people for those. But then I've got a number of other, you know, smaller engagements, just single evening engagements that are intended to take what was a fully online experience. So like Constitution 101, a fully online experience. You take the quizzes online, you study the professor online. But my experience at DTS taught me that there's got to be some way to draw those people into a physical place, uh, you know, uh, and a specific time so they can be physically pl- present with one another. That's something that I think the pandemic taught us is that we need to be together in a particular place at a particular time. Of course, you know, here we are, you know, digitally together on a podcast, <laughs> but I don't think there's any question that it would be better, you know, if we were together on our terrace having cigars. I don't think anybody questions uh, that being the case, <laughs> right, right. but you know, for, so we'll be having some dinners on like constitution 101 and inviting, uh, students, you know, locally in this, in this region of the country who took that course to come and meet their professor. So we're going to have RJ Prestrito come and offer a talk, you know, that, that takes that next step in the coursework, mm-hmm. that, that, that natural next progression to the coursework. And it also gives students a chance to not only meet their prof, but also meet fellow students who've been in this course together and have that shared experience. It's sort of a capstone moment to having engaged with us online. So I'm hoping that this year doing uh, several courses like that, we'll be doing Theology 101 like that. We'll be doing uh, The Real American Founding like that. Uh, C.S. Lewis on Christianity. We're, we're actually going to have you know, hope against hope here. We're we're working on uh, having Michael Ward come over from England. Oh, you know? nice. nice! So to have a Great. have a proper C.S. Lewis scholar who's over at Oxford, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> well, so so once that gets lined up, um, obviously that'll be on your website, right? I mean, yep. is it, how, is is your website sort of like a sub? site of Hillsdale or is it a separate site? Sure. Right now that's uh, blakecenter.hillsdale.edu. They gave me a, they gave me a proper, a proper leg underneath the, uh, the bigger umbrella. <laughs> so it is a, it is a sub link. So if you go yep. to the Hillsdale site, you'll be able to find it, but you could go there directly. Yeah. Probably well. the best way to if, get there is just direct blakecenter.hillsdale.edu. Probably the best way to, to, to get there. And then yes, our, our events will be updated there with information on how you can 
you know, register or contact us in order to uh, express some interest in one of our programs and hopefully get you, get you out here and uh, let you, <laughs> let you drink deeply from the well. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I, I think it'd be great. Uh, you know, occasionally Glenn and I get back to the area uh, and uh, Tom course is right there. <laughs> so, but it'd be great for us all to kind of come down there and hang out with you a little bit. It'd be a hey, maybe we, we can even do a session of the uh, session of the podcast, you know? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be that'd be that'd be cool. Yeah, Pug yeah, not included. Pugcast minus the pug. <laughs> that's, that's right. You, you've got to have some like uh, standards, environmental standards. You, yeah, you just right. can't have a bunch of pugs running around. So I noticed on your Patreon page, I, I really appreciated the Barrett 50 cal in the uh, in the high class category. You know, Hillsdale's into shooting sports. So I, I found my mouse drawn to that side of the page because the Barrett 50 cal was really touching a nerve. <laughs> so... Now, in terms of the kind of the long-term plan for the Blake Center is, you know, there are these courses uh, and so forth. Uh, how is the relationship kind of established with Hillsdale? Is there like uh, a, a an official extension kind of connection? Yeah. Is I mean, can people take coursework that would actually full length be right. part of the? Yeah, is that going to be I, that case? It's not. It's not a piece of it right now. But I'm following a mold that's similar to what was done at the Kirby Center. So Hillsdale has an extension site in Washington D.C. It's the D.C. campus, but it started out as the Kirby Center, and they hosted events much like we're doing here. Over time, built interest, built a base of support, and then you know they fundraised for and established the Van Andel School, the Van Andel Graduate School in po- Politics which, you know, those students both take courses on the main campus and at the D.C. campus, but then their their internships and things like that are, are largely run directly out of, of that location. I think that's a good mold, and it's one that is a sustainable growth mold. I think that it took them a better part of the decade to kind of make that transition from being, you know, center-focused and event-focused to, to really having a, a graduate school focus. Obviously, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't, if I wasn't at least interested in the thought of having a Hillsdale Masters of Divinity. I think there's a there's a place for that in the marketplace. Oh yeah, um, well, especially in this area, we 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 found that, and you know, even you know, just seeing the hunger in a lot of churches for advanced education is is sub you know significant. Yep. Yeah, yeah, particularly there in Central Connecticut. I mean, the, you know. Um, you had the uh, Hartford Seminary for a while, uh, which is sort of an sort of well, it's just on fumes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But it's a it's kind of the kind of freaky liberal. I mean, it's it's at that, yeah. at that stage where you know they're so far left, they're trying to distinguish themselves from a bunch of other leftist institutions by even being weirder. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it'd be great to have something solid there that had a, a broad uh, sort of evangelical, you know. Uh, and uh, orthodox orientation that uh, yeah. I think would be uh, helpful. Mission alignment, um, the, you know, I, I have intentionally not established a separate mission statement for the Blake Center because I don't see the need to do so. When you look at Hillsdale's yeah. own mission statement, it already, in my mind, covers the basis of what we're trying to do here. And, uh, you know, there's just no need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, that's not to say that we don't highlight the aspects that are represented directly in our name. It's certainly the case that, you know, we're zoned as a religious institution. The Blake Center is zoned that way. And that's that's not an accident. And that's not uh, convenient, right. as as perhaps some in the media have portrayed it. It's it's an integral yeah. part of, of the focus for this center. But, um, you know, I guess to put it another way, my uh, interview with Larry Arn, uh, which I guess I could get in a little bit of trouble for saying this, but hey, you need good content for the podcast, so I'm going to give it to you right here. So <laughs> my, 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 my interview with Hillsdale was, a, you know, it was a very intense process. I was, you know, I knew a couple people at the institution, but didn't necessarily have the, uh, the, the, the backdoor good old boy system in place. I kind of had to come through the front door and apply properly without really having a lot of connections. And so Ilsdale doing their due diligence really wanted to make sure that I was the right person. And I think I have the number right that it was about 26 different interviews, not different rounds, but different interviews over the course of about four rounds of interviews. Um, One of which included uh, Larry Arn, which uh, I think was on the schedule for 30 minutes and it ended up being more like an hour and 15 and uh, the start of that interview, 
um, I'm barely even seated. And he, 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 you know, sort of, you know, glances up, you know, his eye line comes above, you know, his, uh, his computer. And, uh, he hits me with, what's your definition of politics? <laughs> now, I probably should have yeah. known that I was supposed to prep for that kind of question. Um, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, my prep deck didn't include that one. So I, I kind of stumbled my way through an answer. And uh, his, his, <laughs> after he listened politely for me to uh, come around, he goes, well, that's wrong, but let's talk about why it's wrong. That's fun. But at one point, I, what, I asked what, him. Uh, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll cut my illustration to the point here. I asked him at one point. Sure. I was like, you know, can I? You know, now it's my turn to ask a question. Maybe, you know, what, what are, what are you, you know, what are we doing here? You know, what is Hillsdale doing in Connecticut? What's the idea? Yeah. And uh, he sits with that for a second. He goes, you know, funny thing, I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> and I said, well, respectfully, I asked first. <laughs> and in, in, and in typical Larry Arn fashion, he goes, well, uh, I'm the president, so you're going to answer first. <laughs> <laughs> so I said to him, I was like, I think, you know, to, to, bar to borrow perhaps an overused scriptural illustration, I think one of our goals in New England is to spoil the Egyptians. Mm. And the, yes. the idea there right. is that the wealth of some of the Ivy League, the, the tradition and history that they've inherited, and in many cases, just, you know, the endowments that they've inherited and the kinds of people that have put, you know, their, their legacy in the hands of those institutions um, has been misplaced, unfortunately, yeah. that they are yeah. no longer striving to produce some of the best pastors that the world has ever seen, like their founding documents indicate they should. And in fact, right. if it happens, it's in spite of what they're doing, not because of it. And I right. think Hillsdale right. stands at a good place to fulfill that calling on this area of the country. And so yeah. I do think in that, in that sense, we stand at a good place to not only do admissions and fundraising, but also programs right in the backyard of many of these schools. Um, oh, yeah. And in some sense, spoil the Egyptians. Um, Larry Arn likes to think of it as, uh, you know, Hillsdale's in a war for education. And the Blake Center is an important beachhead on the Eastern Front. And I, I, I like that analogy, too. Both of them actually warfare analogies of a sort. <laughs> well, you're probably perfectly placed to be just right in the center of Dartmouth, y Yale, and Harvard. I mean, you're right there. Yeah. Equal, you know, drive time, you know, to each location, about an hour. Um, fascinating stuff. You have, well, you have I, something I, you want to I, say there, Tom? Yeah, real quick. I, I know it uh, timely place. Again, I'm, I, I was asked, uh, one term I was teaching ethics at, at the Boston campus at Gordon-Conwell, and one of my students was also a graduate of Hartford in the sciences and was part of their, um, they have a group, I, I can't think of the name, but they, they it's a very large group in the science, hard sciences, um, medicine and um, research sciences, that uh, they host uh, Christian speakers and uh, moral philosophers and the like regularly f to offer what actually Harvard isn't offering um, is a, a theological and a deeper moral ang angle on the ethical issues um, and, and the larger, um, you know, the larger questions related to, to science and knowledge. And I, I was asked to speak at, you know, at one of these uh, on, the, on the significance of Christian understanding of transcendence for actual ethical practice in medicine. And one of the fascinating conversations that came up after, and this is after a group of people pretty much from any, we even had Mennonite uh, students there. We had uh, students from Islamic backgrounds, Sikh, atheists, the whole group. It was packed, even though they were having other conferences on um, like marching and protesting and things like that. Um, but one of the questions that came up at the end is we can't go to the divinity school here at Harvard because they don't ask and answer these questions. No. We need you. We need people like you right. to come in here and and address these. And and so you're seeing in the in the place where God had basically been thrown out in earlier generations, 19th century on. Now they have a, f a huge need for that conversation to come back in where the divinity school that used to kind of carry the torch for that has basically ended up where the hard sciences are. So I think having a center that can address oh, yeah. that will will draw a lot of that uh, missing element. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a story I like to tell about a conversation I had with Harvey Cox when I was there. He was he tried to get Mark Knoll 
uh, on the Divinity School faculty uh, at Harvard, and it was voted down. I mean, <laughs> and it was voted down because it would make uh, the Divinity School too diverse. <laughs> that was that was that was Harvey's way of putting it. I, he was joking, of course. He had a twinkle in his eye, but he was he was actually pretty disgusted. Uh, yeah. You know, he had gone to the to all that work to try to. He actually, I mean, Noel had come out and done some lecturing and stuff like that, but they just didn't want you know anybody who had the moniker evangelical on their faculty. Anyway, uh, long way away from where it started. So um, when it comes to, you know, the coming year, you've already noted a few uh, courses that are coming up um, or programs. Uh, is there anything that you really would like maybe people in the podcast world to know about? Because, you know, we're, we, you know, we're in 60 countries. It blows our minds. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe, maybe we can crash your server. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> is, is, like there is, is there an online thing that some, some, some of our yeah. folks could, could, could uh, participate in? So my intention is to, you know, record a number of the things that we're going to offer in hopes that we can actually, you know, push these things out a little bit more broadly. Um, I am, you know, admittedly a child of my age. Uh, so I, mm -hmm. I do think there's something to be able to record and, and consume content um, digitally. Uh, so, you know, when we have people out, for example, like when Michael Ward comes out, um, it's, it's going to be C.S. Lewis on Christianity, but we're going to record that and make that available as sort of a Q&A session that's, that will ride, you know, on the back end of the fuller, you know, Hillsdale free online course. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll as much and as often as we can, we'll be recording. You know, obviously some speakers are a little bit more apprehensive about such things than others. So we'll have to be mindful of that part of it. And then some of our, our programs are, you know, paid entry. So um, I am wanting to encourage people to come physically as well. So I, I think there's value on both ends of that spectrum. But uh, we will for sure have some some good content to be able to consume, regardless of whether or not you can come uh, live and in person. Um, there is, you know, we, you mentioned Edwards. We are going to do a full length retreat of Edwards in this area. Um, again, we'll have uh, Jerry McDermott in for that. We'll have a couple of mm -hmm. other Edwards scholars as well. And we're going to be going, you know, to the sites, you know, yeah. uh, you know, locally in New England. I mean, some of them just, you know, right up the road, Northampton is just but a short drive yeah. from our front door. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I like to think of it like a land cruise focused on Edwards. <laughs> But yeah, maybe you could do it during like the holiday or not mean the Halloween season when it's really creepy up there. <laughs> yeah, right. well, it, it could be kind of creepy in Northampton anyway. I mean, you know, here, here you're talking to a budding Anglican who, who appreciates the, the all, all Hallows Eve, you know, right. approach. Right. Yeah, but we, we can redeem Halloween maybe, you know, save it from the, save it from those all Wiccans Saints Day. up there. That's right. That's yeah. right. Right. Well, you... You also have down here, I mean, I'm sure they, they all know it, but it's uh, where uh, uh, Glenn Sunshine's actually preaching Sunday is uh, Weathersfield, which was the actual, where um, Edwards, uh, when Yale moved uh, for a short period of time, actually it held its courses there in Weathersfield, at least the Divinity School, and Edwards uh, took up residence there. So that's kind of, yeah, this whole area is kind of steeped. In, in a drivable tour while while the lecture happens. <laughs> now, uh, how about accommodations? I mean, let's say a person learns about this course with with um, Michael Ward, and he want they want to come out. What you know, Summers isn't known for like uh, its big hotel <laughs> scene or anything. You know, fair enough. <laughs> well, luckily, you know, the hotel scene in Enfield is a bit better. So uh, right, we've got right. a decent hotels five minutes away. We've got good hotels seven minutes away. And we have fantastic hotels 15 minutes away. So we kind of tell people you can pick your own adventure on that front. You know, if you like a nicer <laughs> hotel or a higher end bed and breakfast, you'll be no more than 15 yeah. minutes away. If you're okay with a Hampton Inn, and it's very serviceable. We even put donors up in this Hampton Inn on occasion, um, yeah, you know, five right. minutes away. And it's 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 two turns. Yeah. You know, you couldn't make and it. The, and there is the, the Bates Motel, I remember. That's not too far. <laughs> you remember Psycho? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was hoping you wouldn't go there. But yeah, fair enough. You know, yeah, my wife was telling one, me the other day, I didn't even realize this, but Connecticut is, you know, Chris Wiley, the the big, um, you know, he, he had this running series. I think it was on Nightline or something like that. But it was basically catching, you know, uh, sex offenders that were trying to abuse young children. 
all of that Chris Wiley stuff, you know, Chris Hansen stuff. Sorry, not Chris Wiley. Chris yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know Chris had another, another gig though. All that Chris Hansen stuff, all of that, you know, gotcha. You know, this, this guy comes in to meet with this young girl, all of that stuff. That was based in Connecticut. And I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this whole time I was like, oh, no, no. Same yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Connecticut has its dark underside. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so there are places for people to stay uh, and you know be able to participate in the different programs. So, as we as you think about though, sort so we've been focusing a lot on say the the faith dimension. What are some of the things you guys are doing that kind of do the uh, well? We talked. You talked a little bit about the separation of church and state. You know. Yep. Uh, program you're going to do. Is there anything else that maybe touches on maybe the, well, uh, the, the intersection? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of and so one of our programs coming up, it's, it's February 17th through 18th. We're having Martin Koldorf and Jay Bhattacharya, two very prominent oh. epidemiologists, COVID scientists. These are, these are two guys who are mentioned by name in the Twitter files releases as being censored yeah. by Twitter. And of course, now we're starting yeah. to learn that they were not just shadow banned by Twitter, but several other prominent social media platforms. Yeah. They're coming out to talk through, you know, what it was like, you know, not only being, you know, censored by the media, but how they were able to continue to promote truth in their work despite that. And they were very, I, I would argue, very successful with the Great Barrington Declaration. They were yeah, able to yeah, continue yeah. despite being blacklisted, despite, you know, the concerted efforts of high ranking you know, executives inside these social media companies, they were still able to promote the truth in that environment. I think that's a, you know, more than, more than, you know, uh, the, the push to reduce that censorship, which I think is its own sort of good outcome from those kinds of yeah. exposures. I think it's also good to note that there's still good work that we can do, even if we're being censored. And these guys are living proof yeah. that that's the case. So they're going to come out and mm. talk about COVID public health policy and being censored. And I see that as a part of the freedom component that, you know, like I said before, is it is it directly a program on uh, theology? Maybe not right in the title, but it's right yeah. there. It's right there for the taking, because, yeah. you know, if we right. lose our ability to speak freely, religious liberty is is not far away. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. Yeah. I know uh, Scott Yenner. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but Scott mm -hmm. uh, teaches at Boise State and uh, he's survived two cancellation attempts uh, since he's been there. Uh, he wrote about his experience with the most recent one and it was published in First Things. And, you know, I think it'd be wonderful um, to consider maybe how to survive cancellation attempt in various uh, professions. Let's say you're yeah. a minister and your own congregation turns on you, <laughs> or, yeah. or you yeah. know, uh, you know, obviously higher education. Well, uh, I had it happen in the well, especially with the vaccine issues within the university. Yeah, I yeah. mean they they basically marched you right off campus. <laughs> yeah, well, and, but in this particular case, here, here's here's a couple of men, and if I remember correctly, they're connected. In other words, these aren't guys that are sort of out in the middle of nowhere blogging about things they don't know about. <laughs> these right. are guys yeah. who are like yeah, Martin is a is a Harvard you know Harvard professor, yeah. Jay Bhattacharya, Stanford. You know these are yeah. these are not these are not you know these are not uh, like uh, sort of like sort of kind of scientists. These are very serious scientists who are oh, recognized as experts in their field. No question about and they, it. And and still, you know, they they run afoul of the official narrative, and and you know. They, they can't get their, their, you know, message out. I, I, I'd like to know whether they even felt some internal pressure uh, in their own institutions to, sh to shut it down. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, you used to be able to say, well, I'm, I'm tenured, but sometimes that doesn't work anymore. I mean, you know, anymore. Our, our friend Tony Esselin, uh, he was tenured at, at, you know, Providence College, and now he's no longer there. I mean, they can make your life so miserable that you know you're you're just like no longer even able to function in, in some yeah, of these places yeah. well and they certainly yeah, I, have, have taken it on the chin and of course you know not to give too many plugs here but you know no no better place to to hear more about it than to, to come to the event yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right but right. um you know we do intend to live stream that as well so um you know uh following up from this to be happy to share that with you 
so that way, if anybody you know who regularly watches the program or follows you on one of the other social media platforms, if if they'd like to uh, be able to view it and can't come in person, uh, we'd we'd love to make that available more broadly. These two guys, by the way, are a part of the Academy for Science and Freedom, which is you know one of uh, uh, Hillsdale's newest ventures. Oh, really? Okay. I, I wasn't aware of that. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so the Academy for Science and Freedom was initially started sort of in the middle of COVID. Part of the reason it it it, it happened was Hillsdale took a very different approach to the handling of COVID. Um, you know, the uh, the science based approach we'd like to think, where the mm. administration actually contacted several prominent epidemiologists and took their input and tried to balance that against you know public health policy more broadly. But really kind of looking at, you know, the factors of, you know, who is this, you know, who is this disease really affecting? And is it is it affecting the population of our students? And the decision was made pretty early on at Hillsdale that, you know, OK, this, you know, we know enough about COVID to know that this is not a disease that is that is that is killing the young. This is not something that's mm-hmm. impacting college age students. And it is good for our students to be in school. And this partnership that we yeah. have, college is a partnership, this partnership with, that we have requires, you know, the school to, uh, you know, to continue to function and that yeah. we do not take from our students that which they so desperately want, which is, you know, they want what is true and good and beautiful and we are here to give it to them and give it to them in person. So with almost, uh, you know, almost virtually no exception, I think I, I, think I heard once that the faculty, you know, uh, all but one faculty member went back into person and that person had a number of, you know, potentially comorbidities that, that actually did right. sort of necessitate mm-hmm. them to be remote for their course. But all, you know, all in unison, you know, you could say the faculty were supportive of this. So Hillsdale was back in operation, back live and in person while, you know, for, you know, more over a year while other colleges and universities across the nation had had decided to to shut down. Um, yeah. Really, kind of ignoring the the, the science um, in favor of what is, you know, convenient or popular status quo, and so that yeah. kind of prompted this idea of okay, you know, if that's true on a policy procedure, you know, there, there there should be a think tank, you know, there should be a place where these ideas are really discussed more broadly. Larry On had a very good relationship with uh, Scott Atlas and and Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Koldorf. And so those three are the sort of founding members of the Academy for yes. Science and Freedom, which is really geared not just to look at COVID, though obviously that, that one's close right. at hand, especially now as I as I hear um, you know, from the uh administration that uh the, the COVID emergency powers have now been given an end date. Um I think it I think it <laughs> behooves us to look back a little bit and consider carefully what we learned as the result of perhaps a very poorly handled instance of public right. health policy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that whole that whole uh, event as it unfolded, it's it's just remarkable how uh, those who were maybe in the early phases lionized and almost idolized uh, Anthony Fauci, for example, now look very different <laughs> in the rearview yeah. mirror, you know, and. Uh, it, it does raise, I think, important questions t- to consider with regard to, uh, you know, you just even, you know, uh, the work of a pastor in a local church. When you have that kind of betrayal of your trust in the sense that, you know, I, I know of instances where churches have actually permanently been closed uh, yeah. you know, because um, the, 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 the way the whole thing unfolded meant that, Say, for example, a church that was a, that was in the early phases of being planted uh, and getting started shuts down. There's, uh, all, you know, all the momentum that it had developed is gone, and and there's no, you know, prospect for it to get started again. Yeah, there there are <clears throat> there were costs that yeah. I still don't think are being uh, accounted for. Uh, you know, yeah. businesses that it, that went out of it business. Has, it has. It has still impacted, I mean, higher education. I know that the places that I am teaching in person again um, are only having a small percentage of people return in in large cases. They are doing hybrid courses, um, which are very, I mean, the technology is great, but it is still very difficult as a teacher to be managing 
the, the students sitting in front of you and also trying to pay attention to the different squares that keep popping up um, <laughs> on the screen, right. all the while trying to show both the class and these people your your kind of notes or your outlines. And it, it, it makes, I mean, learning already can be difficult just to keep up with, you know, pretty dense content. But you couple that with small volumes of people showing up to classrooms um, they want to, but they have that option. A lot of them still like to sit in their living room while they do the class. And it, it really does distract. Um, and, and so, I mean, again, I, it, you know, I mean, this is one of the, I think, the side effects that continues to linger that um, that I think just, yeah, again, bad policy early. I mean, bad decision making, not following the science early on has has created something that's not going to be easy to dig out of. So as we kind of ring, you know, the the, the show to a close uh, here, Levin, a couple of thoughts I wanted to get it, to explore just briefly. One is how is uh, the, you know, sort of the progress uh, coming along in terms of connecting with institutions in Connecticut, churches, yeah. uh, you know, so forth? So we've, we've you know, admittedly, it's, it's challenging. I think uh, in general, New England is, uh, they're uncomfortable with change as a general thing, which I think a lot of people are. But New England, perhaps, you know, a bit more so. And then, um, it, well, I guess, you know, being a, a Texan by birth, I can say that they have a very strong sense of yank from around here. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I've, 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 faced, I've faced the yank from around here face quite, quite a bit. But that's not to say that there's not moments of common cause. So, you know, what we're doing perhaps from the outside, there, there, there are places that are working from the inside. So the Rivendell Institute at Yale, there's, you know, the, the Massachusetts Family Institute, which is connected to focus on the family. There's, there's lots of common cause moments. And I intend to make as much common cause as I can, because I, I certainly don't think there's, there's anything uh, advantageous to operating on an island. Uh, certainly not, certainly not in this area of the country. So um, there, there are sort of encouraging uh, movements on that front. We've got a uh, preaching camp coming up where we are going to be bringing in local pastors from the area, helping them sharpen their homiletical swords, and uh, you know, bringing in one of my one of my profs, Timothy Warren from DTS, who's uh, got his PhD in communications and has been teaching teaching preaching to some of the best of the best for you know decades now. And they'll be able to come in and actually give a sermon live in front of their fellow classmates and receive on the spot feedback, that kind of thing, you know, well, maybe you do get on the spot feedback in your church, uh, <laughs> but maybe you have to take that with a grain of salt, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So that's a good segue to this uh, last uh, question. And that is, uh, so with our audience, what would you like to see from, from us? I mean, what you're doing is great. The programs that you described are just right sort of in our center of interest, uh, are there ways that people can learn more, can sure. support the effort, uh, give to the to the center, that kind of thing? I guess I can take that as sort of a two-parter. I think there's, there's something, and I gave a talk on this recently, there's something important that I think is easily forgotten in a world that is constantly draining us, you know, of, of an attention span. And that is the, the concept that we were as human beings made to know what is true. And because we were made to know what is true, that means that we have the capacity to know what is true. And to take that, uh, take a corollary a step further than that, we're not only made to know what is true, uh, we were made to be able to share what is true. And it's those two things together that I think give me hope, not only for the center, but for this area of the country and indeed the world, that if human beings have the capacity to know what is true and share what is true, then there, then there is hope for the world. So I, I, there's that encouraging side of it. But then, you know, that comes with a sort of responsibility. If you're made to know what is true, then you have to seek out what is true and know it and then share it. And the, the center is a great place to not only uh, increase in your knowledge of truth, but also meet with like-minded people and and receive some accountability for sharing that in the balance. You're going to have the chance to rub shoulders with people that share with you a lot of a lot of the same opinions and background. That um, that that can be an encouragement on its own, but also a responsibility. If they're going back 
to their to their places of of living and doing business to share what they've learned, then you too are are sort of required to do the same. Truth comes with that with that uh, implication that we have to share it. Um, I think is a is a sort of a quick and easy call to action. If you go to our website and simply put in your name and your email address, then we can keep you to, up to date on what we're going to be doing. Keep you up to date on events, and then of course, if you if you ever want to make a visit or, or know anything more, it's you know. I'm no more than an email away at that point. Excellent, Great. excellent. Well, we'll definitely have uh, that uh, website in our show notes, and uh, also we'll you know have uh, the larger Hillsdale uh, campus uh, in Michigan uh, that website as well, and anything else you want us to include. And so, but it's been great to have you, Levin. Thanks for yeah. Thank, thank you, you for my taking pleasure. the time. Yeah, I know no, you got been, things. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, and, and I know you have things you have to get to, and and uh, anyway, uh, we list, we we want to uh, say thank you as well to the listeners. Thank you for another uh, you know uh, period of time that you've spent with us. Uh, got to the end of another show. If this is your first time with us, uh, we congratulate you to getting to the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there are plenty of previous episodes you can start. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of the things that fascinates me. When people learn about the, the, the podcast, they go all the way back and listen from the start. I've had and there people, have been a few who have listened to every episode. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. If you're one of those folks, thank you for that. If, if you'd like <laughs> to support the, the podcast, we do have a Patreon account. You can also support us through the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Anyway, enough for now. Uh, Thanks again, and we'll be with you again another time, and bye-bye. Bye. The Theology Pubcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you enjoy the Theology Pubcast, you might enjoy one of our other podcasts, Got a Minute, featuring Larson Hicks and Pastor Rich Lusk. Rich theological discussion guaranteed to leave you edified.